What is up, assets? It is Adam Lopate here with another episode of the Asset Estate Podcast. And today, we have the double special, the double duo. And what I'm going to talk about today and what the topic really is today is talking about is finding partners or partnering up with people that can bring value to things you're not necessarily good at. What I mean by that is maybe you're good at acquisitioning the deal or finding the funding and your partner is good at property managing and being able to build relationships with a bank to refi, right? Or mixing things up. You have whatever your set skills are and you should focus on what your value is and what you can bring to the specific team. Now, if your partner can fill the voids of the things that you can't necessarily do, that's when it becomes a dream team. And that's what allows you to scale, right? Stop focusing on the things you're not good at and focus on the things you are good at and bring people in that fill the stuff that you can't necessarily bring. Now, today is a bit of an interesting dynamic duo. And the guests we're going to be bringing on today are not just partners in business, but they're also partners in life. And we're going to dive deep and we're going to dissect on how they're able to manage being able to be in a relationship outside of business and in business and what they're able to do together to be able to scale the business, the portfolio that they have. So without further ado, we're going to bring on our guests here, Anam and Amir. Welcome to the show. Tuning in live from the Dallas-Fort Worth area, we have Anam and Amir. How are we today, guys? We're doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing well, doing well. I appreciate you guys coming on here. Um, I guess, you know, let's just jump right into the curiosity of the audience here. You guys work together as business. Are you guys together in, in relationship in real life? What is How is that dynamic? Yes, we, we are husband and wife in addition to being business partners. So it's it's definitely unique, um, but it's the best thing we can ever <laughs> suggest. It's a great way to strengthen your marriage and your business relationship. Yep, definitely. No, I must say I, I, I idolize that. You know, I think, you know, it's it's cool to see you guys are able to have the same sort of uh, what you're looking for, goals in life, the same sort of aspirations and being able to do that in real life and in a marriage and, you know, being as cool as you guys are. I think that's super sweet. And I think that's something that, you know, every entrepreneur looks for is someone else that has that same sort of quality as you. So that's super neat to see. Um, what exactly are you guys doing in real estate as partners? So we do all of our stuffs are rentals. We do, but we do every aspect of the rental. So we do the acquisitions. We'll do the rehab. We have our own construction crews. We do our own property management. Um, we do our, we find our own lenders, find our own source, source our own materials. Like every, like we're vertically integrated from the acquisition process to holding all of our assets afterwards as well. Got it. So everything's in-house. I guess when you have two people, right, mm -hmm. it's easier to do that, right? I, I wish I had four arms and four legs to be able to do all that. <laughs> um, how, how did it all get started with you guys, right? Were you guys both in real estate separately and then met or were you guys together and realized, hey, we want to change our lives together and you guys got into it together? Go I'll ahead. No, I'll you go ahead. Um, we, we started... So we've been together back to backtrack because we've been together for 16 years. We met very, very, very early on in our lives. We have been dating since we were, I mean, 14 and 15 years old. So we knew, we knew early on that we are obviously going to get married and want to build a life and a business together. 
we grew up in very entrepreneurial families that had, um, you know, small family owned operations, which meant we worked or, or one, each of us worked in our family business, but that also meant our parents were working seven days a week, 12 to 15 hour days. And we knew yeah. that's not something we ever wanted, um, especially for a future family. Like we want to be very present when that time comes for us. So we kind of sat down and figured out like, what is it? What, where are we even passionate? And real estate kind of was something where we both were like, yeah, I think it's something we can both be interested in. And then we kind of continue to dive deeper into real estate because real estate's everything. It's, I mean, there's a lot, when you say real estate, there's a lot to it, right? But we knew we didn't want to be realtors. We didn't want to, I mean, we didn't want to wholesale. We didn't want to flip. We didn't want the, we wanted something that was building generational wealth, which is why we landed on real estate investing, utilizing the birth strategy to keep all of our, uh, like to do basically do buy and holds. Got it. Yep. And uh, just for the people back home, what exactly is the Burr strategy? So it's buy, oh man, I forget I this all the time. It's, it's buy, yeah, re, buy, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat. Got it. Yeah. So, uh, so pretty much what you're saying is you buy it, uh, a little bit distressed, need some work done yeah. to it. You guys go in, you get a crew, you fix it up. Uh, to the point where it can now be rented. You find a tenant, you stabilize the asset by putting a tenant on the inside, and then you refinance out. So that value you put in by putting in the tenant and putting the work in, you can pull that equity back out and take your cash or whatever you guys put in and be able to rinse that and put it back into the next property. Exactly. Just recycle it back into the next one. Got it. Yeah. That's the, as uh, so I, uh, Burr method is, is what I do. So I'm very familiar with it. I think yeah, it's, so you know exactly. I'm, I'm a little biased. It's the best way to get into real estate. You're holding on to the asset. You can have the tax advantages. And again, that's the best way to build wealth, right? When you fix and flip or when you're wholesale, you're never actually obtaining any assets. Yeah, yeah just, it's just like a continuous yeah, job. Yeah. I feel like that. People get shiny syndrome, uh, like what is it, uh, shiny object syndrome yeah. by looking at that fat paycheck, but you're not actually building assets. Like, yeah, like, once that money yeah. runs out, you're basically looking yeah. for the next deal to, to, you know, like support your lifestyle, but you're never that you never got, you never get to that point where you can just be like, I can walk away. I mean, obviously, there's people who have scaled up and built teams so that they could probably step back a little bit and the rehabs and acquisitions to continue on, but. But feel like you never get to that point where you can actually feel like you're stepping away. Yeah, a hundred percent. As a wholesaler as well, I, I could attest that you're nonstop prospecting, finding deals, selling deals. It's it's tiring, and like you said, you're chasing something. You're always chasing that next deal. Whereas, again, uh, you know, the buy and hold. Once you have a sustainable portfolio, you can then kind of sit back, relax on a beach, and just be collecting those paychecks. Um, I want to dive into to the history of you guys. Um, I'm not going to go too far back. Don't worry. Um, wh where, what, what was the first purchase? What, what did your first purchase look like as a real estate team together? How did you guys acquire it? What was the deal like? So our first purchase was after after a solid probably year of actually doing research of not only like like markets like around us like because where we live like in like like Dallas, like the main city of Dallas, like things are still decently expensive. So we knew that as our first purchase, we kind of had to go out a little bit, uh, 30, 45 minutes, maybe an hour out. Um, so we did, we did a lot of research for the first year leading up to a learning, researching different markets, figuring out exactly what we want to do. When we came down to figuring out that what we wanted to do was single family in, um, in the Dallas, like near us, so that we can be kind of hands-on on the whole, the whole prop, like, the process of it um 
the deal actually just came by on a bigger pockets thread. And what we did was we just quickly analyzed it. Like we, we both sat down, looked at like what, which part of Dallas, or this was specifically in Fort Worth, but which part of Fort Worth it was in. Um, we both knew that being close to great schools was a great idea. Being close to great retail was a great idea. And this was, this hit all those metrics. Uh, price point was decently low enough and we actually pulled the trigger without actually going to the site. We actually bought it just by looking at photos. You bought your first property site on scene. Yeah. Yep. Man, you guys got the dynamic of a lifetime. <laughs> oh man, I love that. I love to hear that. Um, so how did that, how did, how did it all turn out? You guys rehabbed it, you rented it, you still own it. How, how was that asset? How was the purchase buying it on scene? It, it wasn't it wasn't as bad as people think like we had predicted our best case scenario our worst case scenario on rehabs we we're like okay if this is a if this is an easy rehab and it looks like what the pictures are showing it's going to probably be 20k now let alone we don't know anything about rehabbing obviously because we've never done it before but we were like okay if it's a 20k rehab and it still works if it's like a 50k rehab it still works so we could completely mess up before rehab and we'll still be decent like we'll be all right we're not gonna we're not gonna be losing money on the deal um which is why we would we, we, we pull the trigger so quickly on it uh and sight unseen but yeah yeah we we went through the whole process we bought it we rehabbed it we got tenants in there we refinanced it and we still own it till today what um how were you able to purchase it what was the financing what did the financing look like so a couple things we did on that very first one i think I think if I remember correctly, we had opened up like that year leading up to where I was telling you we were doing a lot of our research and getting everything kind of ready. Um, we had opened up a bunch of line of credits and it was personal line of credits. Like she was, she had a, a really good paying W2 job. I think we opened up a line of credit against her. We had opened up a home equity line of credit and then we had um, a few business credit cards that, that we had. So I I believe we had purchased that one specifically using the line of credit. I don't think we used a hard money lender in the beginning for the first like three or four houses. Got it. So you were able to utilize equity in, in a specific, in a different property, a line of credit you had, or, mm -hmm. and then you were able to purchase it, uh, put 20% down, um, and then refinance, pull that money back out to buy the next one. Yep. Awesome. Exactly. Awesome. Well, I'm glad to see that work. I, I've seen a handful of times, honestly, 70% of the time where the, the site unseen can be a little bit dicey. So I'm glad to see that that worked. Um, I want to, I'm going to, I'm going to single you guys out a little bit. I want to dive into what you guys' responsibilities are in, in, in the business. Um, we'll start with, uh, with Anam. What, what exactly are, are your responsibilities? What do you think you, your focuses and your traits are that you bring to the business? there's so there's one overlap that we both do we both kind of do acquisitions because that's something we both are passionate about about what the next asset is but past that i am uh, my my role and responsibilities within our business is the basically the upfront work of the renovation get, picking out materials layouts floor plans designs everything so our guys have a blueprint to know exactly what to do and then i step away i mean i obviously i go Hover. You go on vacation, you leave Amir to do all the work. You're out. She's Call like, me when I need to be back in town. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, just out. Five um, days in, she drops a pile yeah, and she's out. So I kind of do a lot of the, the um, what is it called, upfront work with the renovation, but I do go manage. I mean, I do kind of like micromanage a little bit to make sure things are being exactly how I want them. 
And then I handle all of the property management side of it. We self-manage our entire portfolio, which is, that's a lot in itself with leasing, with, uh, I mean, just dealing with tenant calls and issues and all that. So I manage that side of it. Cause I like, I'm a, I'm, I'm an, what is it called? I'm an introverted extrovert. I don't know. So I'm not necessarily an extrovert, but I do, I do like, I can be an extrovert. Yeah. So I do like people. I do like interacting with people. I do like talking. Um, I, I don't know. I feel like I can talk about like to a wall and I'll be fine, but I can't do it all day. So, <laughs> uh, so, and he's the complete opposite and he'll, he'll dive into kind of his side of it. But I think that's kind of why I like doing the people side of our business, which is, and then the, the more creative outlet side of it. Got it. So you're, you're the one that you guys are both acquiring properties together and we're going to get into you, Amir, what, what your responsibilities are. You guys are acquiring the properties together. You're pretty much going to design um, what exactly you're going to do there. And then you're going to then work to deal with the tenants, the occupancy and making sure that the properties are managed correctly. Um, Amir, what, what are your sides of the responsibilities and what, what do you bring to the, to the business? So the originally, like, like I love the, doing the financing portion of it, right? Like acquisition, getting it figured out, how are we going to pay for it? What lenders are we going to bring on board? How are we going to make this whole thing work? That's like my favorite side to do. What I have to do is also handle the contractor side and the renovation side, not as much love on that side, but I still do it. And, and like, I, I enjoy doing it now. Uh, just because we have like a large team around us, so so they pick up a lot of the stuff that I don't really enjoy doing, but but we still do it. We we all work together and try to get things done. Uh, but yeah, mainly meaning the financing, the uh, working with the contractors to get the houses like all the way to the finish line, and, and yeah, basically those two items. Got it. So who handles the refinance? Me. You? Uh, I I want to yep. I want to dive d deeper on the on the refinance. How exactly do you go about refinancing a property now that you've stabilized the asset? Do you shop banks? What exactly is that process look like? So we are past the point of where we can be like normal bankable. Um, usually, what when you work with like your regular banks, you're kind of capped at nine homes plus your personal, which makes it ten properties. Once you get past that 10 property threshold, um, you can't get Fannie Freddie loans anymore. Um, all of it has to go to commercial financing. So you're working now with either um, local or national like hard money lenders that have um, 30 year or longer term financing. So you're gonna get different financing models. You might get a five year arm, you might get a seven year arm, 10 year arm, or you might get a fixed 30, but these rates are not gonna be as close as they are. I mean, like they're going to be a lot higher than they are on the residential side, like a normal residential loan. Got it. Got it. And just for the people back home, he's not actually using five arms. He arm is an adjustable rate mortgage. So with, with uh, the rate can adjust within the first five years of the seven years, or you can get a 30 year, which is going to be a fixed rate and it's not going to adjust just so just for people back home that were wondering how you, how you were able to, I know you guys got four arms, but now you're talking about yeah. arms. <laughs> Uh, I'm just so used to like just just saying those terms like with our lenders yeah, and stuff no and worries. Just out there. I just I just think everybody that's, knows that's it. what I'm here for. I, I'm I could be I'm a I'm a thruple in this relationship now. My job is just to clarify <laughs> what you guys are talking about. Um, how how are you guys? Uh, where are you guys at now? How long ago was that first purchase? And where are you guys at today? How many properties do you have under management? What is your what is the worth of your of your real estate portfolio? 
that was back in May 2017. So over about over about five and a half years, so almost about six years is when we um, started our real estate journey and um, bought our first deal. Right now, we're currently at sixty. Yeah, 60, 62 doors, which is majority, like 95% of our portfolio is single family rentals. We don't, up until just recently, we don't buy multifamily. Uh, so, a couple duplexes. Yeah, we have like two duplexes in the yeah. mix, but like majority of that is single family rentals. Yeah. And um, it, this might seem like a high number, low number, depending on where in the States you live, but um, that about the, the 62 doors equates to about 20 million under management. I mean, 62 doors. I mean, that's, that, that deserves a round of applause in six years. You guys really are a dynamic <laughs> team. I mean, that's, a, that's a lot of assets to get under management. That's a lot to manage self-manage specifically. Um, yeah. I know there is two of you, but still 60 units in six years. Very, very impressive. What do you think got you guys there? Is there anything specific you guys can think of or just some sort of qualities or something that could attribute to that success to be able to get to 60 doors that quick i think COVID kind of triggered it because i think like when when we had like when we had like when we were just in the regular grind of our everyday we were just we we're buying homes we were doing this and doing that and, and time was just being taken up like throughout our days right but i think COVID kind of just gave us like a time to like kind of pull back and just dial back on on what we're doing, how we're going to scale, kind of gave us some time to just sit there and think because we just had so much time in the day because everything was like closed. Um, so I think like given that 2020 year, um, that like from there is where we actually started to pick up scale because before that we weren't really doing that much. I think we were doing like three deals or five deals a year for yeah. the first like two or three years. And then 2020, we picked up a, a good amount of scale. And then last year, we just ran with everything that we learned from them. Yeah, no, that's 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 dope to hear because I know a lot of people kind of use 2020 as like as an excuse to not do things to be like, well, I, I didn't get this accomplished or I didn't go to the gym th this entire year or I, I didn't make money or I didn't do anything because it was COVID. Yep. It was COVID season. Everyone used that as an excuse, but it looks like you guys made that into some sort of asset for yourself you were able to take 2020 as the year all right now we're going to get serious with this we're going to dive deep and we're going to take advantage of being able to be home together 24 7 <laughs> together you know i know that could be a little bit strenuous but 24 7 what are we going to do we're going to figure out how to build a master real estate portfolio so i love to see that you guys were able to do that um in in the timing of these last five years what do you where and i'm going to direct direct this at anam what where do you see that the business that some things you do now that you guys necessarily didn't do when you first got started and you could look back and be like dang i wish we were doing this in the beginning processes i like actually having processes to everything we do i think when we first got started because we were learning along the way too we just were just we we're just going with the flow essentially at that time and yeah, I mean, you can go back and be like, oh, man, I wish I just actually wrote out a process and stuck to it and, and, you know, went from A to B, B to C from there and just grew and finessed it. No one knows how to, no one knows what you're even putting down in a process that early on. But now it is very, we do, we have very, very good systems in place, which is how we're able to manage what we manage with just the two of us. And I think, again, in hindsight, when you look back, you're like, dang, I wish I followed these systems or or but i didn't know you don't know what you don't know right? right that's the biggest part of what what was hard back then it's just i feel like we were just so scatterbrained and we just didn't feel like we were accomplishing a lot we also in the last like year or two actually started making 
Yeah, when we first started buying real estate, I think we were like, hey, if we can just get to 10 homes, that's great. Like 10 homes, oh, okay, maybe 10 or 20 will be fine. Like that's a good good number to retire on. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure in what world we thought that was a good number. But then we very quickly realized that's a very attainable number. And this isn't for retirement. This is a business for us. And I think when changing that mindset, this isn't just a like, yeah, this is great. It's cool to replace your W-2 and, you know, kind of, yeah, be able to go to Barbados and do absolutely nothing (laughs) while someone's paying for all your expenses back in the States, right? But it just, I mean, it just, when you position it, like, this is a business, it completely changes how you operate, what you actually care to, so care to put systems in place, care to actually write um, SOPs, which are standing up the standard operating procedures, right? So, or processes. So like, if you were to hire, you literally have a blueprint to hand to your employee and be like, this is how you do leasing. This is how you do renovations. This is how you do um, lease ups and um, handle requests. You wouldn't, if, if this was just a means of retirement, you probably wouldn't care to put in all that effort, if that makes sense. So I think positioning and knowing in 2020 where this was going versus completely now, is I think it completely changes yeah. how we operate a business now. Awesome. Yeah, you, you think in the beginning, all right, I'm going to buy a couple of rentals. It's going to be neat. And then next thing you know, you turn around and it exponentially just grew into 60 units. And you're like, how the heck did that happen? Right. It's like you, you have kids and then like next thing you know, they're 40 years old. You're like, holy crap, where'd the time go? Right. <laughs> um, uh, except assets um, are bringing in money where your kids are, are spending your money. But that's a different topic. <laughs> That's a different topic for a different time. Um, what what were some of the speed bumps in this last five years that you guys went through any time where you're like, shit, this this isn't going to work? Or I, I think we, you know, we got we got into deep. Some, let's go, go through some of those speed bumps so people can kind of learn through your mistakes. Um, I think contractors were a big, big one. Um, I mean, whenever you're dealing with contractors, you always have the thing of like, you know, like, am I paying? am I going to give him this draw or am I going to give him this much for the amount of work? Cause like, they're not going to, it's not like you, you, you arrange a contract with them and they do the work and then you just pay them all at the end. That's just not how it works. Like they need a little bit of money along the way, like on a weekly basis or a biweekly basis or by a small project basis. Um, so we've had a bunch of people that like, I mean, we've had a few contractors that have taken money and just didn't, didn't show up the next day. Um, I think that was like one of our biggest hurdles to get past because like now, not only are you out the money, but you're out of like that person. Now you got to find somebody else. And um, when you take on hard money, you're under the gun too, because you have high interest loan that you're paying interest on on a monthly basis. And if nobody's working, it's kind of like you're, you're, in, a, you're in a bad position. Um, I think that was probably our number one thing is when, when guys run away from jobs and you're just kind of just left there by yourself and you're like crap like in the middle of a project it's also very hard to bring in other contractors in the middle of somebody else's project because now they have to go back and fix or you know figure out where these people have left off what they've gotten done and then kind of just pick up from where they left off and it's it's always hard onboarding somebody in the middle of a project got it um i i would say for sure contractor is the number one key to success when it comes to a real estate business Um, a contractor can make or break the deal a contractor can ruin everything and I think that's the most important thing to have in place when you are deciding to be a real estate entrepreneur is having a trustworthy contract. Luckily, my partner 
is my contractor. He's not my 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 husband or my wife. He's he's actually my <laughs> best friend. He's my best friend, and it's the same thing. We have the dynamic. I find the deals, the funding, just like you guys have. Except it's my best friend. He does all the contracting work. Uh, he's more oh, hands on, nice. and he's a general contractor. So I kind of got lucky there with having to figure out that step. But for for people that don't have that, what do you, what is the process you go through, uh, Amir, to be able to find? a good contractor? What do you, should you be doing? How are you vetting these out? What does that process look like to find a good contractor? So a lot of it is, okay. So, I mean, once you actually do have somebody good that you work with, it's, it's a very good, it's very good to always ask for referrals because when you actually do have at least one trade that might be good, like whether you have like a good electrician or a good plumber or a good framer or whatever the case is, it usually their referrals are going to also be good. Um, so referrals have always like referrals have always turned out great for us. Um, but a lot of it is trial and error. There's like, we, I haven't figured out like the golden key to figure finding like great contractors, but a lot of it is just trial and error. I mean, we'll try people that, um, we randomly meet at a home Depot or we'll try people with, uh, I mean, if, if somebody's driving by and I see something on their van, I might give them a shot at something small first and then move them on to bigger projects if I like their work. So a lot of it's trial and error. I don't. I don't think I have the specific answer to like finding the perfect contractor. Yeah, you know, sense. I just thought of a business idea and, and for the people back home and for you guys, nobody steal this, but imagine Tinder for contractors, like you're swiping, <laughs> they got their projects on the page and you're swiping left to right and you match with them and you can ask them more questions and figure them out. Tinder for contractors. I think I might. <laughs> Tinder's for, for lenders too. Yeah. Tinder for lenders also would be a good little tool. A real estate investor Tinder. I like that. Yeah. And then, uh, um, but yeah, one, one key takeaway that, you, that somebody can probably get away from this is always asking for um, just ask tough questions and see how they answer it. Like if they can get into the nitty gritty of how they're going to do things or what materials are going to need and timelines and stuff like that. Or if they can, if they can honestly take out their phone and just show you pictures of other work that they've done, uh, most of the times that works out pretty well for us. Yeah, for sure. Verify the work, make sure that, you know, yeah. obviously you vet them out as people verify that the work they've done is good. Um, would you say as contractors or rehabbers, are you guys, you guys want to take the cheapest route to get to where you want to get, or are you guys more quality over quantity or um, about in the middle? In the, begin in the beginning. Yeah. yeah. In the beginning, we probably did go with cheaper um, cutting corners over cutting corners. Like, just because yeah. we did we didn't know what we didn't know yeah. uh but now we for sure don't like in the beginning yeah. we would have i mean i think we go back and look at some of our first first like i think five or six renovations i'm like how did we like how, why did we leave what we left in this yeah. home? you know just like little things that like cost almost not like nothing like we try to resurface cabinets from like this early 40s yeah <laughs> I mean, honestly, it probably took more time to do that than to just buy stock cabinets from Home Depot and make them. Uh, so, like, there were things like that that, like, yeah, we for sure, we definitely did try to cheap out on some things in the beginning just because we didn't know. But you also had issues come up on things that you didn't necessarily replace and you knew, like, what the common denominator was. So then once we obviously got smarter and, like, you know, had yeah. a little bit of um, experience under our belt, we do now, like, we, we did start doing a little bit more renovations ahead of time to kind of mitigate anything afterwards 
Got it. Got it. Makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, you don't know what you don't know. I think that's a great quote yeah. that I'm going to quote you on that. You don't know what you don't know. Right. And you could read books or you could listen to podcasts, but at the end of the day, until you're in the nitty gritty and you're doing it right. And, and people shouldn't always go so hard on themselves because, you know, we make mistakes, but as long as you're learning from that mistake and just moving forward and having that improve your business or improve what you're doing, right. That's what it really, that's where it really counts. And just don't make the same mistake twice. Cause that's when you, you know, that's when it's, you know, there's no, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't get, get your back on that. You know, I can, I can say, all right, you made a mistake but twice. You know, that's where you need to, uh, you need to reevaluate. Um, I want to dive in back into uh, a nom side here on the property management. How is that going for you? What is there any sort of advice from when you guys started? I'm not going to lie. I'm a landlord and I hate that aspect of the industry. I just hate it. I hate it. What is it like dealing with tenants? Is there anything special that you do to be able to deal with 60 plus units? There's a few things. And again, it's, it's all finessed over time, but like, you know, like we, we would get similar questions that would come up over and over again after move-in or during the move-in process. And so I and my first few probably would didn't do like a welcome packet, but then I started doing like a welcome packet that like details out like exactly how to pay rent, how to submit maintenance tickets, how to um, like, if the house is on fire, here is the, here's 911. But like, we kind of like outlined, like just a lot of the common questions that we kept getting asked that we thought was common sense, but it really is not. Uh, and we utilized building for property management software, which I think was the best thing we could have integrated. I think after the the first property, so I was starting, the sec- starting at the second property, we are just right off the bat paid for it and started utilizing a property management software, which makes things way easy because you can, obviously you upload your property, you can track expenses through there, you can list your property, you can um, have people apply, uh, like run background and credit checks. You can do all of that within this one platform and system, which helps manage your tenants a little bit easier. And then if like we get those one-off texts and stuff, because like on the leasing side, I do talk to them via text message or my phone, right? So they do have my phone number. So after they move in, the first thing they're going to do, instead of what we try to train them and tell them in their welcome packet, I think I reiterate seven times to them is submit a maintenance ticket online. They'll just text me immediately in this long throughout a message of like the house is like, you know, the yeah. roof is caving in, but like Pretty. obviously it's never as bad as they make it seem in a message. Um, I'll, I now just respond back. I'm like, oh, okay, that's cool. Can you submit a maintenance ticket? Like they could even send me a picture of like the whole home flooded. I'm like, that's great. Can you submit a maintenance ticket? You just kind of have to stick to processes and you have to train your tenants how you want communication. Cause if you don't, then you're just gonna be, feel like you're just overwhelmed. You're getting text messages all, at all hours of the day. And yes, yeah. when you start getting volume, those like, at first, in the beginning, we used to get like one maintenance ticket a month, and we're like, "Wow, what are we it's doing?" It's easy, right? yeah. But then, yeah, yeah, it's easy. But like, man, I can't believe someone said something about our property. Yeah. Now it's like, I mean, it's daily. I mean, but it's stuff that's petty or little, or it's very easy to kind of take care of. And it's just, I mean, no matter how much you do renovate, there's just random things that come up that you can't, you you just you can't plan for, like with yeah. weather, like playing into effect. Like I know, like. Winter, winter, we always hold our breath and we're like, please, please, winter storms, just like leave us alone. We do not need to deal with bursted, like, bursting pipes, like, pipes yeah. and then it, like 
heaters going out or, you know, in Texas, we just, we dealt with a lot to, what was it? Two years, two years ago. ago where yeah. like, I mean, the entire state of Texas has no power for like lots of days. And yeah. as a landlord, you can't do anything about right. it, but you also are the one receiving communications about like, oh my God, I have no power. Well, okay, the entire Metroplex has no power. <laughs> um, so you can't you just fix that. Like, you can't get the power. <laughs> <Let me just, laughs> what are you doing? What are you guys even doing over there? Jeez. <laughs> Yeah, so you just, you know, it's 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 not the fun and glamour inside of real estate investing. Not a lot of people probably talk enough about it. But it still, to this day, makes sense for us to self-manage than pass it off to a property manager because no one's going to care for your property like you do. And it's going to, our next step would be hiring someone in-house. So we are looking to do that soon because you can train them to take care of your property and respond to your tenants and, you know, kind of do everything how you want it done versus just, being one of many. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. Um, hiring in-house is something I always suggest and something I do and me and my partner do as well is because we could teach them or we could coach them to do things the way we want it our way, right? Nobody knows how to run your business like you two, right? You guys built it from the ground up and no one knows how you guys like things other than you two. Um, and when you hire an outside property manager, right, they do things their way. And necessarily, it's not the way you guys want it done. So being able to bring somebody in, I think, is definitely the smartest play. And you can mold and shape them and have them to personally be working for you. And it's not one of these uh, these bozo management companies that, that overcharge. Um, what what property software are you guys using? What, what property management software are you using? Yeah, it's called Buildium, B-U-I-L-D-I-U-M, Buildium. It's a, um, it has a stair step method, I guess that's what it's called. Yeah, the uh, logo? So, yeah. No, 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 like the, uh, it's like zero to 10 properties with a certain price and oh. like 10 to something. So it's not like you're going off the bat paying like $200 a month for a software. I think it's super affordable. I think it's like 20 to 30 bucks a month in the beginning, which again, it does everything you can think of. And like bookkeeping is a huge thing that a lot of yeah. people struggle with with just in general and yeah i can't necessarily bookkeep your renovation side of the real like your um investing stuff but it can like keep up with like just your your Ongoing. general maintenance yeah. and like things that come up with the property during the actual tenancy so you can actually pull reports per property and be like okay cash flow is actually this because of all these expenses and this was my payments and this was my taxes and stuff Got it. So, uh, and it's uh, just uh, just to throw it out there, someone with the experience too. It's it's good to get that system in the place right away, like from the start. You don't want to get sixty properties deep and then try to add a property management system. Now you got to change the way that sixty people are paying rent and sixty people are doing things and trying to get them to do it to a new way after been doing it for so long is probably the hardest thing. Um, I want to put you guys both on both uh, both out here for for these type of questions for the future, right? I'm sure you guys think about the future. Um, where do you guys see this going? Are you guys always going to be doing single families? Why just single families? Is it just because it works and why fix what's not broken, or do you guys see yourself growing out of single family units? I think we. I mean, we definitely like the single family side. Um, we just, we just did, we just wrapped up one of our, our multifamily units right now. And we definitely love that now because it's multiple units in one location. And so it's easy to grab, you know, two or three of our crews and just bring everybody to one place and just 
have everything centrally located so that you're only going to do one site visit rather than, you know, jumping all over the city to go to different hot life projects going on. Um, so we are definitely looking more into multifamily right now. I just don't think we'd ever give up the single family. Like it's been working for us for, for this long. And we have teams in place that know exactly what we like, what we do, how we do it. And so I don't see that we, we would ever let that go. I think we would continue doing the single family, but I think we would uh, pick up more crews and start, take on um, at least one multifamily project at, at any given time. Yeah, that's interesting. I, uh, I, uh, I, I started off same thing, single family and, I then bought a four unit recently and I realized mm -hmm. it's the same exact system, the same process, but now I have four and one and it's yeah. cash flowing me way more. And it like, it was like a light bulb in my head. I'm like, I'm never, so I appreciate your guys' patience because I am never buying a single family ever again. Um, I just realized like the amount of work I was putting in and the amount of, you know, stuff I was doing for these properties to make two to $300 a door when I can do the same exact thing for a four unit, it just didn't make sense to me. Um, but, but again, that's just my market and me. No, it ain't work. I mean, there's so many people that will graduate to multifamily and never look back at single family for us. It's just, it's someone, someone's always going to, I mean, home ownership is getting more and more expensive in the United States. Right. So like, there's not going to be families that always want to live in an apartment. So like, that's why single family is a very, 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 um, appealable, I guess, appealable asset because yeah. people are going to need that type of place to rent, not just apartments. And so that's why I think we like it. And it's like, you can also sell it off to an average consumer, worst case scenario. You don't, you're not just having to sell it to an investor because I mean, it's a home. It's like, it's a home you can sell it to. Yeah, multiple ways out of it. Yeah. No, very valid point. Very valid point that you make there that if you were ever to offload it, right, a four unit, you're not selling to the regular everyday person. The single family, yeah. honestly, you could usually unload it to the person that's renting it, right? Because they've lived there. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. or you could unload it off to somebody else quicker because it could be anyone, a home buyer, not just going to be an investor. Whereas a four unit, you're almost guaranteed you're selling that off to an investor. Um, have, yeah. you, have you guys thought about uh, potentially uh, buying outside of the Dallas market? Have you guys bought outside? Have you thought about that that type of decision to make? I think the furthest out we've been so far is about an hour away, like 60, 70 miles away from us. Um, we still like the whole process of being able to like go see, touch and feel and kind of like get to know the neighborhood and make decisions that way on which asset we're going to pick and and which markets we like so i think i think and, and there's so much availability like the dallas fort worth area is so large like we have so much options here it's not like we're, we're not buying to a scale where we think that we need to go to different markets like if we were buying thousands of houses in a quarter then maybe yeah we would be probably looking at different markets because we don't want to put everything into one market i don't think we're just at that scale yet to where we need to go outside of our own home and and look elsewhere when we have just just amount, enough to buy over here got it yeah no 100 percent. dallas fort worth i mean it's the same thing with philly you got millions and millions of homes in philadelphia i could buy a home every single day for the rest of my life and there'd still be plenty of inventory for other investors um and i, I think that's a it's a great you know great thing to think about is you know being inside of a metro area i, I see a lot of investors flocking to for that exact reason because there's a lot of inventory and especially in these cities right we got distressed properties 
right? You're not going to find a distressed property up in Garland or, or up in by Rockwall, right? Or even in Plano, you're not going to find distressed homes up there. Um, I wish, I wish there, it, I wish that was the case, but you know, you're going to have to be inside these, you know, these metro areas to be able to find those distressed properties to be able to put the value into them. Um, what I want to, I want to hear about a time you guys bought something where it didn't work out. Um, maybe you guys bought something and it wasn't the best purchase. Unless all of them have, and then you guys are really like superheroes. No, no, they, no, it they definitely, yeah. yeah, it definitely hasn't always worked out. There, that's no way. But like, we were just thinking, cause like, we always think about this in a long-term perspective, right? So it's like, even if you have a bad deal, like the worst case scenario is that you're just leaving more money in the deal, right? And you're going to make it back over a longer period of time. But our, 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 our whole purpose of this is buy and hold for a long, long time, right? So it's just that deals never seem bad because we're just, we're just going to make our money back and we're just getting less of a return over a period of time. So, um, I mean, in terms of learning curves, like, yeah, we've had had crazy instances. So yeah, it's not been easy. It's just, none's been like, we've lost so much money and this is the worst decision we've ever made. There's just been like, we've had a few properties that were learned, like just massive learning opportunities for us, I guess. So like, Things would just go like uh, one of them, like yeah. Let's say like what the one in like Rockwall. Yeah. I would say like the what there was one in Rockwall that we had done like early on in our, our probably like year two of when we got started, and it was just constantly like one thing after another coming up. You know, like the plumbing fell apart, or like you know uh, the con- like contractors running away. So it was just it was just more of that where like things would go bad one after another after another. And we'd have to figure out how to get out of it. But at the end of the day, we're going to look back. Like even now we look back and, and we're up, like we're up on it by so much just because of what happened with market appreciation. So, I mean, yeah, it could have been bad at that moment in time, but give it, you know, give it like another four years or so. And we're looking back and we're like, that was a great move that we made. Yeah. I mean, that's the beauty of the long-term 30 year product. You have 30 years to be able to go back and be like, yeah, that was, that was an amazing play. And if you can't go, forward 30 years and look back and say holy crap that was such an amazing investment we made so much money on it you got 30 years like yeah definitely you definitely did something wrong so that that's the beauty of the buy and hold you don't necessarily need to see that instant gratification or that instant return right you got 30 years to look back and be like wow we are sitting on a gold mine here from what we bought 30 years ago and that's really how you should be looking as long term as investors exactly Yep. Um, you guys do any any short term in real estate, you know, short term rentals, uh, Airbnbs thought about potentially moving gears into anything like that, vacation homes, um, fix and flips, or you guys are just going to stick with the bread and butter? The, I, I mean, the, we definitely think about it. But we're very much like, it's just because we've been hearing about it a lot yeah. that like a lot of people are doing short-term rentals on their houses and the amount of money that they're making versus our rentals. And we're like, are we doing something wrong here? Cause like where, where we might be renting out something for like, you know, 1800 bucks, 2000 bucks, they're doing it on a short-term basis and getting like five or 6,000 in a month. And we're like, we've always thought about dabbling into it. Cause we're like, let's try it out with one. And she brings it up all the time that she wants to try out either a short-term or, or mainly midterm is what she, she's been bringing out because people, will come into the city and they need a place to live for a 30, 60, 90 day period. And so you could charge them a premium for that um, because we're furnishing it and going to provide electricity, internet, you know, all the, 
all the basics. Um, so we've definitely thought about it. We just, we haven't pulled the trigger on it yet. And as far as flips go, no, we've never, we've never thought about selling anything. Everything that we've done, we're like, the, the main part about doing real estate is the acquisition and the renovation. Like that's a huge undertaking. And then once you get to the finish line on that, it's, it's so it's, it's a little bit easier past that. So we, we always think that why, why do the hardest part and then just let it go? Like we should always hold on to it. So I don't think we've ever thought about doing a flip, but, but we have de definitely thought about doing at least a couple properties under the short term or midterm rentals. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, th I think one thing to take away from that is I think about all the time too, is all these guys are these Airbnbs talking about making a million dollars a year, but you know, everything in life, more reward comes with more risk and you can't expect to make that much more money on a monthly or daily basis without expecting you to take on more risk. And, and you know, I, I am, a, you know, pretty risk adverse and it sounds like you guys are buying a, your first house sight unseen, but um, <laughs> it's, uh, it is a way riskier for the, the whole overall portfolio. And one restriction on uh, something with the city regulation could change the whole game Whereas for you guys, it doesn't matter what the city does. You're going to have your renters in there. They're going to be paying you monthly. And um, and that's it, right? There's not really much more risk to worry about other than that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's obviously, I mean, obviously there's a market for it and people do it. But I do think in the last few years, it has become a very oversaturated market. And like, there are going to be probably a lot more regulations coming down just because uh, like home, like what is like, um, it's about the, what is it called? the availability yeah. of purchasing homes is like the demand sorry or yeah. the availability is very is still very low in several markets and if, if that one property is now coming offline to be a short-term rental it's not even available for someone to go live in it as a long-term rental so i do see like i know here in our metro there's almost every city like i think there's two or three cities that are almost i think completely boycotting them or letting you have like two maps like and that's it and yeah. And so, and some of the other ones are just charging you fees, like so they're making you go through a whole registration process, and then charging you fees just to become a short term or mid term rental. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Philadelphia, Philadelphia, man. They, I don't know which guy in town hall got inside the wrong Airbnb, didn't like his stay in an Airbnb, but these people hate Airbnb. They, they took everyone's listing off Airbnb unless you have oh, a wow. specific zoning on the property and the zoning that it calls for uh, is because it's called a CMX three, which is like commercial mixed use three. And mm. I've, I've probably in my five years of doing real estate here, I've seen one or two properties with this specific zoning. So now you have to go change zoning, right? Which is a whole process. You got to get the, the neighborhood to agree upon changing the zoning Right. And nobody wants Airbnbs in their neighborhood. Nobody wants the guy next door partying that doesn't live there, that doesn't care about the, the neighborhood. And, uh, or you have to live in the house for six months out of the year. Now, when you have 60 rental properties, how do you expect me to live in all 60 of these six months out of the year? Right. You guys would need to have 49 babies, you know, like <laughs> it just wouldn't, it wouldn't happen. So, like, a lot of these people bought this with the expectation of what they were going to do. Comes and in. Boom, one regulation wipes out their whole business. Now what do they do? They just put all this furniture in there. They, you know, obviously the way you rehab an Airbnb to how you rehab a short-term rental is completely different. And you know, that's a lot of money down the drain for a lot of these people in Philadelphia. And uh, 
you know, looking back, I'm, I'm really happy. I didn't bite on that bait of, of doing that. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for, uh, Anam, uh, have you ever dealt with a situation where a tenant wasn't paying or didn't pay <laughs> and how did you guys deal yeah. with that? Yeah. So conveniently we have like December. So, you know, just in general terms, again, with the rental class, depending on also what neighborhood you're in, December is always a month where everyone overspends, um, like a lot. So January always ends up being a month where everyone's rent is very late. Um, but this is the first time we've dealt with feeling that in October, November, and December, we, I yeah. think in December had five evictions. That is the four, sorry, four evictions. Yeah. That is the highest. I mean, we've been doing this for five and a half years. That is the most amount we've ever had to do. I mean, in all of those years, I did in just one month, just cause you said five evictions just, in one year. No, I've had five in maybe in, in five years, oh, I got so, you. like I got not you. even yeah. maybe, yeah. but last, uh, last month, or we were in January. yeah, last in month, December, December yeah. we've had, we had four evictions, which is that's high. And that just kind of gives you a little bit of a kind of a glimpse into what's to come just because, you know, inflation is high. It's not a lie. Mm -hmm. People's incomes aren't rising, especially in this, like a rental market class. It's not increasing necessarily to keep up with expenses. Yeah. So, I mean, people, a lot of people are like, okay, well, it's fine if I don't pay rent, what, what, what's going to actually happen. Right. So we'll let people go. Almost, we'll let we try to work with two them. Months. We work with them. Yeah. Well, we understand things happen, but we had some that I mean, I think they were at six, six or seven. Like one was at six months, one was at four or five, and we were like, okay, well, they're obviously not really trying anymore. And so, yeah, I mean, we take the next steps. We do again. We do try to work with them. We don't want to yeah. get anyone out um, of a home, but. Yeah. We always try to like, yeah. yeah, we always thoroughly try to communicate, like, let's work out a payment plan. Let's do something. Let's, let's wipe away fees, yeah. whatever the case is, like, let's try to keep you in the home. And if, if the tenants were obviously willing to work and they're trying to do like, you know, like they have their reasons for what, what happened, but if they're willing to work, like why get, why kick somebody out of a house when like, you know, that that's going to put them in a bad position or get, get it on their record, which which when it, when an eviction hits on their record, it's super hard for them for the next like two or three years to go rent anywhere else because everybody sees that when they pull their credit. Nobody's renting to anyone with an eviction. It's, exactly. It's sad to yeah. say, but it's not gonna happen. You couldn't pay me. You'd have to pay a whole year up front if you want to live in that with an eviction. Pay me the whole year up front. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, yeah, we've had people and our fair share of people that haven't paid, and you just like you said, you try to communicate. It's it's. I mean, that is why it's very important when you run your um, numbers and you analyze deals, especially in the buy and hold, is you actually have to really account for all those additional expenses and reserves mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Because if you're going into a deal without really accounting in for, you know, just just general maintenance and vacancies and, you know, just CapEx, CapEx and all that stuff to have a little bit of cushion in each of your deals, it just buys it just, I yeah. mean, it just sucks for you if you're, if you're lying to yourself and you analyze a deal. Yeah, no, you got to analyze every single thing. All those, you know, the dollars add up, right? Dollars add up <laughs> yeah. and one month, uh, you know, just $200, that's, that could be a whole month's worth of income right there. You just lost on a property that those, those things really do for add sure. up. You got to analyze the whole thing. Um, in, in your five years, guys, have you had, is there anything you guys can think of that you guys strongly disagreed about or just like, I'm over here. I'm over here. We're just not agreeing on something to do with the business. 
a good question. Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> I don't think there's, I mean, we've definitely had our differences on how, yeah. what I think is important <laughs> in a job versus what he thinks is important <laughs> in a job. Like we have had like very clear like differences to yeah. the point where our contractors, like I'll go tell him something and then he'll go like right after me and go tell him something and they're like, I don't uh, even know what to do. Yeah, <laughs> so, so like one great like example would be yeah. like, I love standardization. Like if we can make every single unit look like a replica of the next one, and same paint, same towel, same floor, same everything. Like it makes my job super easy because for me to communicate to my guys, they would already know what they're gonna do and what they need to pick up. I would rarely get calls on renovations and our even our like make ready guys or our maintenance team, like they would not be asking any questions for unit to unit, right? Because everything would be exactly the same. She likes to come in and do a pop here or a thing there or change up a paint here or a cabinet there. And I'm like, Oh my God. And then like, and then that kind of just throws in that curveball when you're doing make readies, because like if, if our maintenance guy has a five gallon bucket of paint that he uses on property to property to property, and we have a different paint color. Okay. Well now he's having to leave the property, go to a home Depot, go grab another paint color and then go slap it on there to, to get it all ready. So I think, I think that's probably one of our biggest. That's probably our biggest. Yeah. I don't think we've had like a big, like, business blow up yet in terms of like the actual operational side of it but we do every project probably butt heads on yep. what i would like to do versus what he'd like to do fair enough that's 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 definitely good to hear i would uh i i think you guys got a lot you guys got a lot together so that'd be uh i'm glad that you haven't gotten to that point but i will say on that topic I'm definitely on team Amir with that, man. Same everything, same paint, same, same, same toilet. I want you to be able to walk in the house and it'd be like, you don't even know which one ran because they all look the same. It just makes the yeah. job so much easier. And it's For not sure. like the tenants know. It's not like the tenants know that their house yeah. looks identical to 60 other people's houses in the neighborhood. I I will have to say I am I'm teaming you there. I'm sorry, and I'm. Um. <laughs> There's some. Some I'm willing to. Like I, in yeah. certain areas, I am 100% willing to. But in certain parts of town, I'm like, nope, I am going to do it this way with this color and this accent wall. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, one, one thing I try to do in my rental properties is not specifically on a case by case, you know, do something different, but I like to have one thing different about all of my rental properties that they all have so that when everyone walks into that rental property, eventually in the future, they could be like, oh, this is an Adam rehab or this is one of Adam's projects, whether it's like I have it's the specific tile that is get used in the bathroom. And I want when people walk into the bathroom okay, this is one of, this used to be one of Adam's rehabs because there's no one else in the world that would use this tile in the bathroom. Just kind of, that's like yeah. my little trademark mark to our, to our properties. Um, what were, you know, you did bring up, uh, you know, where the market's going with the recession, you know, is that something that scares you guys? How are you guys preparing for that? What type of advice as far as where we're going? I know people keep using this big, scary word recession and the market's going to crash um how have you guys prepared what are your thoughts on that my thoughts are i don't think the market's gonna crash i just think that there's a slight correction coming just because i mean covid you know to the good and bad it did it just it, i mean it drastically increased so much just because supply wasn't there but demand was there and then like i don't know there's there's just a lot of money also out in the universe so then people were just spending a lot and you know, like over ask, I mean, overpaying on homes. There's just a lot 
there was just a lot happening in 2020 and 2021 and even in 2022 for, for i mean for majority of 2022 i just think there's a little bit of course correcting happening and i mean and we're starting to see prices on things that were crazy inflated starting to come down already i know like in the Remember. last week like everyone's talking about eggs how they're, they're like as expensive as gold but um you know yeah, yeah, but there's like things that are starting to come back, like like you said, like lumber. Like lumber used to, be, I think you told me the other day. Yeah, like, like we were getting like two by fours for like I don't know, like twelve bucks, fifteen bucks, something like that. And now it's like back down to like your two fifty three dollars, whatever it is. But like everything's kind of just normalizing now. There's more supply coming onto market. Like we are able to get windows and appliances on a normal time frame now. Um, yeah. So, yeah. but but to that point, I mean, yeah, if interest rates continue to you know, kind of be that unknown factor. If they continue raising those, that completely does change um, strategies, especially for people like us that do birds. Because when you're buying versus when you're refinancing, if it, if that if it changes significantly, it makes a deal that looked really great back then to, you know, not so great at least until you can refinance out of the current rates, which is probably like three to five years down the line to probably go back. So, I mean, I do think, yes, interest rates will either plateau or, can, you know, slowly start going. I don't even, I don't think they're going to go down. I think they'll plateau this year. Um, but, I mean, for it to go back to like 2020 and 2021 numbers, there's a few years, right? So you just, I think that if that continues, that it does change the game for investors. Because things, I mean, flippers, there's less people necessarily buying homes or they're buying, but their budgets are smaller, right? And then for, like, again, for us, it's, it's, the, the cash flow might no longer be there, but it's a, still a great deal because it's a good asset and a good part of town, but you might just barely be making money. Um, so, I mean, I think that's what's coming in 2023. And I think a lot of people are probably sitting, taking a step back on the sidelines and like really looking at the business holistically to see what is it, like where can they either finesse their strategy? Is this the time for them to like figure out what's next or are they just, you know, going full speed ahead? Cause it's not facing them. I mean, there's, I mean, there's those three different people that are probably, uh, you know, in, in the world right now. And I think after the next few weeks, when things settle down a little bit, I think you'll start seeing what that, what really 2023 is going to shape up like for a lot of investors. Are you guys going to keep buying through 2023? Where are you guys at? Are you guys on a pause? Are you guys still buying? Like there's no tomorrow. What, what, where are you guys at? No, we've, I feel like we've, slowed down significantly i think we started slowing down probably around october or so of last year and but we still had we still had a lot of things in the works so we felt like we were busy because like to like just to get everything to the to the finish line so we felt like we were busy but we've definitely been slowing down on our purchasing i just feel like like in real estate it's like a pendulum right like when 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 interest rates rise you know you know home prices go down and when home prices i mean when interest rates go down home prices are up i think we're just kind of in that in between phase right now where rates have gone up so fast like so quickly um that and then people still have that old like you know yeah expectation yeah. from like october or like even like end of summer that the prices that they want to sell their homes for should continue to be that same price so i don't think it's like the market has made like that that thing where like 
basically the prices need to come down accordingly to where interest rates are in the moment. Yeah, I call it the shock period, right? Sellers are in shock that the value of their home drops so much and buyers are at a point where they, they can't buy their home unless it's come down dramatically. So they're like, I just picture them like showing up in the center of town, sellers on one side, buyers on the other, like who's going to make the first move? And unfortunately, it's going to have to be the sellers, right? The sellers came off the super hot market. They were the home team for a long time. And now, you know, people just don't want to, you know, just just come to grips with it's a different market and you should have sold your house in the summer. You guys, you know, a lot of people let their stuff sit because they were asking so much in that market and now they're stuck holding the buck and, you know, buyers aren't budging. And again, we're at that just that little shock period where uh, even buyers are just a little scared to buy because interest rates are so high and they're not used to interest rates. Right. And now they're waiting for them to come down, but they're going to realize shortly they're not coming down and and sellers are going to have to realize prices are going to come down so yeah i think you're right there is that little shock period and once people just become it starts to become the new norm and people start to adjust to it i think things will start to go back to normal but uh, i appreciate that analysis it's just you know I, I think a lot of these fear words get thrown around recession crash you know and it starts to fear people but as long as you're just staying uh, you know intact with what's going on with the marketplace and just kind of adjusting your business accordingly um, and just, you know, again, just keep doing what you always do. You know what you guys are good at. You know what's worked. You see where the success comes in. Um, and not, don't just go ahead and change everything because somebody said potentially the market's going to crash or whatever the case may be. Just you got to do adjust and just keep up to date with what's going on. So I appreciate that. Um, uh, I'm going to hit you guys here with the asset estate discord uh uh, question of the of the evening here. Uh, for those that don't know, Asset State Discord is one of the largest real estate communities uh, worldwide. Um, we are teaching people how to do everything from wholesaling, Airbnbs, buy and holds. Uh, it's one of the largest real estate communities. If you just like to talk real estate and you want to be around other like-minded people, it's a great place to be. The Asset uh, State Discord question of the evening is, what is your craziest experience you've dealt with or craziest thing you've seen in your five years in the real estate industry? <laughs> I think we're thinking about the same one. <laughs> um, <laughs> I wish I could separate you two. Like, like, you, tell okay, your story, you tell your story. I yeah. I'll tell, okay. That's fine. Yeah. If it's different. Wait, yeah. No, you go first. <laughs> okay. So, so I, I, remember, like, I didn't know that um, happens. When does this happen? <laughs> <laughs> no, I specifically remember this one. Okay. So this was probably like, Early on, this was like probably one of our biggest projects that we undertook um, just because there were so many things that, that were going on and it took us so much time to get it done. Uh, but I remember that both of us, um, like when we finally finished, we um, we just got a tenant in there. We were just like, we were done with that project. We were so, so happy that we were done. We had tenants in there. Everything was working out. We got our first check. Everything was perfect. Um, I think that weekend we had both we're like, let's just get away. Like we did, we did a staycation in Dallas and we were just like, let's just go away. Let's go to a hotel. Let's just relax. We'll, we'll take the weekend off and you know, kudos. We got it done. The, I think it was like a couple hours after we had checked in or, or was it like the next day? It was like the next day. It was like the next day after we had checked in or something like that. Um, we had gotten like a text message from the tenant that basically said the plumbing system fell apart and literally everything had fallen apart like all like everything had completely stopped working toilets had stopped working sinks showers everything like the whole system outside something happened with the pvc line or something where it had basically the main line had disconnected or something from the house 
and we were like holy shit like <laughs> we had we were like we were we had first of all we had no idea how to deal with it this was still early in our stage so we didn't have a team or anything to deal with this and so Tom, we got it down real on. quick Judge, nose goes you go first <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i was gonna lie when they said their shit come, or their yeah, stuff coming out of the oh man the tub, I was yeah. Like, I'm out. I was like, yeah i think that that was definitely yeah. like i think that was the breaking point so if yeah. we both still talk about it to this point and we were like if we did not make it past that proper like we were we were about to quit right there and if we had not made it past that i don't think we would have had i don't think we would have continued on like yeah. if we didn't get past that point crazy yeah. crazy that one that one that that one situation man really does like it, it adds up and it's just like all right i'm done all right you got me you broke me um all right amir i mean oh no i'm sorry i'm not on you that that one was probably the yeah i mean the only other one we've had is again it's that freeze that happened a few years ago we I mean, we very proactively would go to every job that was vacant that either guys were working on or we hadn't gotten to. We would turn the water off, you know, do the slow drip and all that. And then we didn't go check on one of our job sites for one day. Okay. Also, it was like, I mean, it was like a tundra. I mean, it was, yeah, I don't it was even, like, you didn't even it was have to be on the road here, right? Because again, there was no electricity. Yeah. There was like nothing, right? So even if you it did something, I don't know what you could have done, right? We, we could pull up to a home and we're just joking. We're like, okay, we were just here two days ago. Like what could really happen? Then we started seeing water in the driveway. And I was like, this is weird. Where's this water coming from? Uh, well, I, as you get closer to the home, you're hearing like literally Niagara Falls. And I'm like, is this coming from inside this house? I opened the door and I just looked and was like the entire ceiling had come down. Cause this one pipe going in the ceiling that was insulated and we learned since then, but it was a, it was a, yeah, no, copper it was a pipe. copper pipe yeah. that had busted in several places and we had just done drywall in this hole. <laughs> oh, all man, the way down and there is like six inches of standing water in the home and all throughout, all throughout, like the entire 1500 square foot home had six inches of water. God knows how long this water has been. I mean, we were there two days ago, but I mean, it could have also happened two days ago. Yeah. Um, that was probably one where we were just like, this is, this is just not, this is just not what we want to deal with right now. <laughs> and because it was a renovating property, the type of insurance you have when you renovate a property doesn't cover that damage. Um, <laughs> so you're out all that money. <laughs> Um, trying to fix it. Yeah, I've learned a couple of times the hard way on things. And, and, you know, again, like I said, once you make that mistake, I'm sure you guys have never made that mistake again. It's something that you learn, but it's not something that's taught or it's just like not even something you even think about, right? Like, oh, I have insurance, right? But how do I know specifically this scenario right here is not going to unless it actually happens. Um, but I, I will say I, I do appreciate you guys just kind of given the harsh realities, right? Like obviously we're here because we want to be uh, self, you know, we want to be able to have live free, financially free. And, and, and that's why we get into this. And but th th it's not always butterflies and rainbows. And I love to be able to bring people on so you could share your stories like, hey, listen, it's worked out for us. We are able to have a great life doing this together. But there are times where things get bad. And to be honest, um, you know, when I think about Dallas, Texas, I thought you guys, you know, when, when someone doesn't pay rent, I always just assume it's like the Wild West. Like you guys are like cowboys. Like you're just going <laughs> to kick a nom, comes, a nom comes in, kicks the door down. Amir's behind him with a shotgun. Like, all right, where's the rent? The money right now because in Philly, it's like a six to eight month process. So I thought you guys were going to tell some wild stories like that. But um, 
Uh, oh, I wish. Uh, I only wish. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, I appreciate you guys dice, letting us dissect your business model um, and just to show, you know, what works for you guys. Um, the asset estate po- po- uh, discord number two question is when are kids coming? Are kids on the way when we haven't been? Ba- now I'm just messing. Um, <laughs> but I do appreciate you guys being great sports and just, you know, again, uh, I, I wish you guys the best of luck in the 2023, the new year. And um, uh, I just want to say it's it's impressive and uh, I'm inspired to see where you guys have brought this together as a couple. That, guys, um, I just want to say I appreciate it. You guys are awesome and uh, best of luck with the new year. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thank you.